Jews. Alexander Petrovich gave them lessons four times a week for thirty kopecks a lesson. His appearance interested me. He was an exceedingly pale, thin man, small and frail-looking, who could hardly be called old, about five and thirty. He was always very neatly dressed in European style. If one talked to him, he looked at one very fixedly and intently, listened with strict courtesy to every word one uttered, as though reflecting upon it, as though one had asked them a riddle, or were trying to worm out a secret, and in the end answered clearly and briefly, but so weighing every word that it made one feel ill at ease, and one was relieved at last when the conversation dropped. I questioned Ivan Ivanitch about him at the time, and learned that Goryanchikov was a man of irreproachably moral life, and that otherwise Ivan Ivanitch would not have engaged him for his daughters, but that he was dreadfully unsociable, and avoided everyone, that he was extremely learned, read a great deal, but spoke very little, and, in fact, it was rather difficult to talk to him, that some people declared that he was positively mad, though they considered that this was not a failing of much importance, that many of the most respected persons in the town were ready to be kind to Alexander Petrovich in all sorts of ways, that he might be of use, indeed, writing petitions and so forth. It was supposed that he must have decent relations in Russia, possibly people of good position, but it was known that from the time of his conviction he had resolutely cut off all communication with them. In fact, he was his own enemy. Moreover, everyone in the town knew his story, knew that he had killed his wife in the first year of his marriage, had killed her from jealousy, and had surrendered himself to justice, which had done much to mitigate his sentence. Such crimes are always looked upon as misfortunes, and pitied accordingly. But in spite of all this, the queer fellow persisted in holding himself aloof from everyone, and only came among people to give his lessons. I paid no particular attention to him at first, but I can't tell why. He gradually began to interest me. There was something enigmatic about him. It was utterly impossible to talk freely with him. He always answered my questions, of course, and with an air, indeed, of considering it a sacred obligation to do so. But after his answers I somehow felt it awkward to ask him anything more, and there was a look of suffering and exhaustion on his face afterwards. I remember one fine summer evening, as I was walking home with him from Ivan Ivanitch's, it occurred to me suddenly to invite him in for a minute to smoke a cigarette. I can't describe the look of horror that came into his face. He was utterly disconcerted, began muttering incoherent words, and suddenly, looking angrily at me, rushed away in the opposite direction. I was positively astounded. From that time he looked at me with a sort of alarm whenever we met. But I did not give in. Something attracted me to him. And a month later, for no particular reason, I went to Goryanchikov's myself. No doubt I acted stupidly and tactlessly. He lodged in the very outskirts of the town in the house of an old woman of the working class who had a daughter in consumption, and this daughter had an illegitimate child, a pretty, merry little girl of ten. Alexander Petrovich was sitting beside this child, teaching her to read at the moment when I came in. Seeing me, 
he was as confused as though he had been caught in a crime. He was utterly disconcerted, jumped up from his chair, and gazed open-eyed at me. At last we sat down. He watched every look in my face intently, as though he suspected in each one of them some peculiar mysterious significance. I guessed that he was suspicious to the point of insanity. He looked at me with hatred, almost as though asking me, "'How soon are you going?' I began talking about our town and the news of the day. It appeared that he did not know the most ordinary news of the town, known to everyone, and what is more, did not care to. Then I began talking of the country and its needs. He heard me in silence and looked me in the face so strangely that at last I felt ashamed of what I was saying. I almost succeeded in tempting him, however, with new books and reviews. They had just come by post. They were in my hands, and I offered to lend them on